Excel Pro. My single piece of advice I give to young professionals is to write your own story. There are too many people out there who try and convince a young professional or someone who was inexperienced in the field that you have to do things in a certain sequence. You have to follow a certain path to get to some point of success. I think I always bucked that. I think I was a millennial before my time in some ways. Welcome to Excel Pro Audit, where we provide expert interviews and coaching to accelerate your professional development. I'm Jessica Stillman. Today, we're going to talk about how careers in the audit space are evolving. My guest is Richard Chambers. Richard has had an almost 50-year career in internal audit, including a stint as president and CEO of the IIA. Today, he's the CEO of Richard F. Chambers & Associates, a global advisory firm, as well as Audit Board's senior internal audit advisor. We are talking about the expanding scope of risks auditors confront, non-traditional routes into the field, and how auditors can build relationships as trusted advisors. Excel Pro's expert interviews and coaching accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve your day-to-day job performance and make your career goals achievable. For a transcript of this episode and to learn more about the Excel Pro audit community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. And now for my conversation with Richard Chambers. Hi, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You've had such a long and varied career in audit, and I really want to dig in to what you've learned over the years. So to begin that conversation, can you give us a quick thumbnail sketch of your career, how you got started in audit and how you got where you are today? Well, I don't know if it could be a thumbnail. It's a long career. I'm coming up on 50 years, but I'll make it brief. I never really set out to be an internal auditor like a lot of people in our profession. I sort of stumbled into it. I was finishing up my undergraduate accounting degree. And there was a bank across the street from the university that had an internal audit department. And I took a job with them. I spent about a year doing that. And then I moved over to the federal government, first with the Department of Defense. I moved over to the U.S. Postal Service, still within the U.S. government. And there I became the deputy inspector general. We were building that function out, a lot of growth in a very short period of time. And learned a lot. It was a terrific period, but I then got tapped to become the inspector general of the Tennessee Valley Authority, which is another U.S. government-owned corporation. I left government at that point. I was only 47, I think. And so I knew I still had plenty of years ahead. And I went to the IIA down in Orlando, the Institute of Internal Auditors, as essentially the chief operations officer. But then I got the itch to do something that I'd always really longed to do, work in the accounting field more formally. So I moved over to PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC. Most people join the big firms when they're 21, coming right out of college. I waited till I was 50 and put my backpack on to go to work for the big four. I spent better part of five years at PwC. <laughs> I was their national practice leader for internal audit advisory service. Then I got tapped on the shoulder by the IIA's board of directors and asked if I would come back and be the president and CEO of the IA Global. And I began to think that I wanted to do something different for the final chapter in my career. So I stepped down from the role at the IA, but I've been busier than ever. I'm the senior internal audit advisor for Audit Board, which is one of the fastest growing tech companies in America. 
I have my own company, my own training academy. I'm out there training auditors from Dubai to Rome. I'm also the overseas dean of China's Nanjing Audit University. I'm the chairman of the UNICEF Audit Advisory Committee, and I'm also on a board of a company in the UK. So that's a thumbnail, but it's a long thumb. I think you did great, given how much ground you had to cover. That's such a broad, long career. And I'm sure the essential role of internal audit has stayed fairly constant. Fraud prevention, ethics assurance, all of that has stayed constant across your career. Can you talk a little bit about the most noticeable things that you've seen change in the space over time? I think the internal audit profession has changed fairly dramatically, even during my tenure. I mean, if you think about it, this is a profession that's still relatively young. The roots of modern internal audit only go back about 100 years, which, if you compare it to the other great professions in the world, makes it a real infant. I was thinking about this the other day. If the profession goes back 100 years, I've been in it almost 50. So I've really had a chance to see this profession through almost half of its evolution. And if I think about what internal audit was like when I first came into it, all the way back in the late 1970s, It was still very much a function focused on controls in many organizations, primarily financial controls. It was still more of a hindsight kind of function, looking at what happened last year, last week, last month. And what I see today is a function that's very much diversified. First of all, if we look worldwide, only about 20 to 25 percent of internal audit effort is spent looking at financial related issues. It's really diversified to look at the full portfolio of risks in organizations. And then if we look at where we focus, we're looking as much uh, around us and ahead of us as we are behind us. Hindsight will always be of some value, but insight, looking around, and foresight, looking ahead, are far more valuable in how we serve our organizations. That's actually a really interesting stepping stone for another question I wanted to ask, which is, I know you've written recently about how you don't necessarily need to be an accountant to get into internal audit and how the field might look to attract a broader range of talent. Can you talk about what skill sets are needed now to succeed in audit and what other fields besides the accountant field can provide a good stepping stone into audit? Well, certainly when I think about internal audit and I think about where the focus is in the 2020s, it's a profession that literally aligns with, as I mentioned a minute ago, with sort of the full portfolio of risks of an organization. So if you think about what are all the risks that an organization can face, there are myriad risks, right? Everything from financial to operational to technology risks, reputational, all these risks are out there facing organizations every day. And we seem to be now in the era of permacrisis so that a new risk is going to emerge just virtually overnight. So you need the skills. If you want to be risk-centric, as we do in internal audit, you need the skills collectively within the internal audit department to uh, address any of those risks, which means that if all you have are accountants, you're only going to be able to look at the financial risks. So that's why you need a complement of skills in the organization to be able to follow whatever risks may come your way. So If we think about what other disciplines, well, certainly I hear a lot of chief audit executives tell me that engineers bring great skills, some of their critical thinking skills that they're taught through their academic studies and in the workplace. Those are excellent skills for internal audit, technology skills, but even the soft skills, great communicators. We're looking for a full complement of skills. 
Ideally, we'd like to think we could get all these skills in every internal auditor, but sometimes you need to be specialized in helping your organization to address certain areas. And how's the audit profession doing in attracting non-accountants to the profession? What does the audit profession need to do to attract those folks? Oh, I think we really are our own worst enemy because too many internal audit functions are in the hands of what I consider to be more traditionalist people who bring in a strong accounting background. Maybe they're a partner in a big firm or they've got a long lineage in their career dating back into external audit. And sometimes it's difficult for these folks to truly appreciate the value of diversity of skills in particular. And the matter's not helped in many cases because you've got audit committees who also made up of, by and large, people who come from an accounting background, many of them from big four or public accounting firms. And so there's really not a lot of diversity of thought out there about what kind of skills do we need to bring in. So I don't think it's really that we can't attract people from other professions. It's that we haven't been trying. And I think that's the real challenge for internal audit going forward, is that we need to be willing to reimagine the complement of skills that it takes to do the work that we have to do. I also want to sort of take the flip side of that. So we've talked about different professions moving into audit, but I also want to talk a little bit about people from audit moving into other professions. I've spoken to some people on this podcast who've said, you know, audit is actually a great stepping stone into other fields. So I was curious to get your take on that. Do you think audit can be a stepping stone into other fields? And what might those be? Oh, absolutely. I've written articles where I talked about is internal audit a career path or a career stepping stone. I think for some people like me, the idea of spending a long period of time, maybe even a career internal audit, is appealing. But for others, there's a desire to leverage the knowledge that you get from internal audit and then figure out where is it that I most enjoy working in the organization? Because as an internal auditor in many audit departments, you're going to get a chance. Maybe you're auditing in the financial area one month, then you may be doing a technology-related audit the next. Maybe you're do doing an audit of HR or you're doing an audit of procurement. So you have a chance over time to, number one, build relationships in all those areas so that they know who you are. But more importantly, you have a chance to decide, is this an area that I get a lot of energy from? Is this an area where I'd really like to learn more and dive deeper? I often encourage particularly young professionals to consider a career in internal audit because it allows you to climb up on that ladder and take a 360 view of the organization and decide where is it that I would like to land. So yeah, I think internal auditors have the opportunity to go into the business, and quite often they do. Some companies structure internal audit like that, where there's no expectation that you're going to come and homestead. You'll come and you'll spend three to five years, learn the business, and then you'll go somewhere else in the company to help us out. One of the things that I think is most intriguing about your particular career is you've had such a broad array of experience, right? You've had government experience, a sort of big four experience, experience in a large professional organization, and now as an individual consultant. So you've seen the pros and cons of these different approaches. Can you talk, if you were speaking to someone who's a younger auditor who's just starting out, about these different paths, what pros and cons they might offer in terms of advancing your career? My single piece of advice I give to young professionals is to write your own story. There are too many people out there who try and convince a young professional or someone who was inexperienced in the field that you have to do things in a certain sequence 
You have to follow a certain path to get to some point of success. I think I always bucked that. I think I was a millennial before my time in some ways because I came out of college and everybody said, oh, you need to go into public accounting because you've got an accounting degree. You've got to become a CPA. I didn't want to do that. I wasn't really that fond of accounting, even though I got my degree in it. And so I was looking around to see what else was out there. So at 21, I picked up my briefcase and I went off to work in an internal audit department. But then I wasn't precluded from doing the other things. So that's why I said earlier, when I turned 50, I put on a backpack and went to the big four. I've always felt like I could do whatever I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, and how I wanted to do it. So you're not one of those traditionalists who's like, oh, big four first because you get more training. You're kind of like follow your interests. I'm living proof that you don't have to follow the script. No one would argue that I haven't been able to succeed in this field. And frankly, I try to encourage others to take that kind of free-spirited approach to how you plan and organize and pursue your career. I have no regrets because I was always moved to pursue things for which I had a passion, for which I could get excited. So that's my advice. Don't be constrained. I'll let someone else tell you what your story has to look like. I want to talk about the IIA, which I think you led for 12 years. Can you talk to me about the role of the Institute of Internal Auditors? Is it to advocate for the profession, the professional? Well, the IIA is, I think last year they celebrated their 81st anniversary. So it's been around for almost the entire history of the profession. And if I look at what their tagline is, they are the voice of the internal audit profession. They are the principal educator the trainer, the certifying body, and the standard setter. So the IIA really does help this profession achieve its potential. But I also believe that the profession is far more than the IIA. I think there may be 2 million internal auditors in the world, and maybe only about a tenth of those belong to the IIA. So what we need to do is we need to recognize that the internal audit profession needs the IIA, but it can't be fully dependent upon it to be successful. So I encourage internal auditors to pursue credentials across the spectrum. Go get your certified fraud examiner. Go get your IT credentials from ISACA. It's important, I think, for us to be fully equipped to take on the important mission of internal audit. And I'll never take anything away from the part that the IIA has played in that. I know you've spoken and written about the need for whistleblower protection. What are your thoughts on how to better protect whistleblowers? How can we encourage that auditors speak out when they do see problems arise? Well, unfortunately, that starts in many cases with the culture of the organization they work in. Too many internal auditors are confined by a culture that doesn't encourage speaking up, doesn't encourage accountability. And that makes it very stifling if you're an internal auditor because So much of the value we bring is being able to articulate issues, to provide assurance, or if we can't provide assurance, to provide you with insight and recommendations as to how you can improve things. But some cultures don't value that. And we've seen plenty of examples of that over the years where the culture will be in the hands of people who don't want to hear bad news, who don't want to be criticized, who don't want anyone out there pointing out inefficiencies or ineffectiveness. That makes it very difficult. So I do believe that internal auditors need protection. I'm not a big 
fan of government regulatory whistleblower protection for internal auditors because I think it will tend to have a little bit of a chilling effect. If there's a perception that somehow we are an arm of government or that we are operating under the sanctioned protection of government, I think it'll make it more difficult perhaps for us to do our work. I do think that there ought to be greater accountability on the parts of boards. I think a lot of the issues uh, sort of begin and end with boards of directors. And I think that's where internal auditors should be able to turn for protection. Unfortunately, a lot of boards seem to be in the hands of management and unwilling to challenge management if there's a dispute between management and the internal auditor. And that's really unfortunate. Are there steps in terms of policies or who makes up those boards or anything else that you'd point to that could start to ameliorate those problems with boards being less open, shall we say, to bad news? Part of my concern, and particularly in the United States, and I'm familiar with corporate governance in various regions of the world, is that we really don't have in this country a corporate governance code that really specifies what good corporate governance principles look like. All too often, I feel like boards and board members sort of work at the behest of management. Look at it this way. Board members in a lot of companies either picked the CEO or the CEO picked them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it gives the kind of arm's length relationship that many companies need to have. And that's why boards in a lot of cases are blinded, perhaps, by charismatic CEOs individuals who maybe they feel somewhat beholden to, or maybe they had an invested interest in because they brought them into the role. And so as a result, people just have their blinders on until there are real problems. Mm -hmm. This is particularly true when it comes to culture. And so I think that's what we've really got to get past in this country. I think boards have got to become more skeptical. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways there's too much civility in the boardroom. No one's really willing to challenge each other. And I think sometimes you need to be able to do that. You spoke specifically there about the U.S. Are there other countries or other areas of the world that you would point to that have a better way of doing things in regards to the board that we might look to and be like, oh, let's try that out? Look, I'm going to say right off that corporate governance struggles worldwide. But there are some countries where there are corporate governance codes that at least paint a better lane on the highway about what the board's responsibilities and roles are. There's the King Report out of South Africa. There's the Cadbury Report out of the UK, which is in the process of being updated even as we speak. So there are corporate governance codes in other countries, but I would tell you that even in those countries, you've had corporate governance scandals in recent years. So I think board members just have to take their responsibilities so much more seriously and be the real champions for the shareholders. They're there to represent the shareholders. And I don't always feel like that's what we see. Everyone always asks when there's a big calamity, where was management? Where were the internal auditors? I always ask, where was the board? Why didn't they see this coming? Why didn't they have their fingers on the pulse of what was happening in the company? And they're often like a deer in the headlights after something happens, not quite sure what they missed. I want to sort of open the floor to you because you have had this very long and interesting career. Is there any other lessons or advice that you would give to someone who's in the audit profession we haven't talked about in this conversation that you think is useful or important to get out there? I think about what are the skills that you really need to cultivate to truly 
be an outstanding internal auditor. That's sort of the subject of my book, Trusted Advisors. And in that book, we explore what are the characteristics of the very best. And if I think about what some of those are, we're talking about things like being ethically resilient, understanding you don't only have to be honest and courageous, but you have to be willing to fend off all of the temptations and all of the interference that may come your way to do the job. You got to be results focused and results focused doesn't just mean that I'm counting the number of audits I do. It means that you need to focus on completing audits that really have an impact in your organization and that you can point to and say that made a big difference about being great communicator and having strong communication skills in every facet, not just that you can write well, but that also can listen and you can read the room and that you understand what's happening around you. And of course, critical thinking is often the number one recruited skill for internal audit. It's that ability to take data, take facts and put together what happened there. What's the root cause of the situation? It's about being intellectually curious, never losing that intellectual curiosity that we have as children about asking why and what and why not. You've got to be able to do that as an internal auditor. And of course, it's about maintaining good relationships and it's about the technical skills, making sure you know your business and you have a lot of deep expertise because you can have all the soft skills in the world. If you don't have any expertise, you're not going to get that proverbial seat at the table. We didn't talk about your book and perhaps we should get into that just a little bit more. Can you talk about what steps auditors should take to build that relationship as a trusted advisor? You talked about ethics and communication skills. Is there anything else that you would say to build that trust? You hit on the key word trust, right? Because relationships really have to be rooted in trust. And we're taught as internal auditors from almost the first day we were on the job, we're taught about how to determine if we can trust someone else. How do I know if someone's lying to me? How do I know if the documents they gave me are real? How do I know they're not stealing? The trust has always been taught to us in a one-way street. But the fact is, they need to trust us as well. And what do we do to earn that trust? They need to believe that we're not biased, that we are objective when we take on our role, that we're competent, that we have the organization's best interest at hearts. And so one of the things that I think we have to do to build relationships is to demonstrate why they should have a degree of trust in us. And it goes back to being able to be a proficient practitioner, someone who they believe understands what they're doing and that they're motivated to believe in the advice and even the foresight that that person's offering them. So to me, it's about building trusting relationships and it won't always be easy. You're inevitably going to end up issuing an audit report that somebody who trusted you is not going to like. And the real test about whether you've built a trusting relationship is whether that relationship can withstand the disappointment that may come from an audit that they didn't want to hear. I think that's a good spot to end on. This was super illuminating. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Jessica. For a transcript of this conversation and to learn more about the Excel Pro audit community, visit joinexcelpro.com. That's J-O-I-N-A-C-C-E-L-P-R-O.com. Excel Pro's interviews and products accelerate your professional development. Our mission is to improve our members' day-to-day job performance and make your career goals achievable. 
Thanks again to today's guest. If your colleagues in any sector of the audit field might be interested, please let them know about Excel Pro. As our community grows, it grows more useful for its members. Remember to send your comments and career questions to questions at joinexcelpro.com. You can also call us at 614-642-2235. That's 614-64-EXCEL. Excel Pro Audit is powered by Kaplan. The producers are J. Ray Sparks and Jeff Eisenman. The team is Matt Crossman, Shweta Kolkarni, Caitlin Cole, Jared Goff, Inesh Bose, Arnesh Bose, Neil Ungerleiter, and me, Jessica Stillman. Remember, we excel together. See you next time.